who were always gurus, aren't they? They're always gurus. Who were big in property investment. Which again is a coercive control thing that you're not on these. Yeah, because obviously he was in control of all the finances. To control you, in other words. Yeah. It's a it was a control thing, right? Mm. He didn't want me to do that. I ended up making a script because network marketing teaches you business, right? It does. On today's episode of The Engaging Marketeer, I'm having a, a very, very different discussion to what I normally do. I'm speaking to Lorraine Marshall, who is in digital marketing, and she's also in property. But a lot of what we talk about is relationships. Um, she talks a great detail about a relationship that that started to go sour uh, in 2017 and, and didn't really end until till recently and about how it was under coercive control and how someone tried to stop her doing the business that she's doing because they didn't want her to have her own interests and how she dealt with that. This is probably my most revealing interview uh, to date and very different to what we normally go into. Um, so let's hear from from Lorraine. So we're on. We're ready to go. Okay. As, as mentioned, this is a completely chaotic attempt at a podcast. There's no structure whatsoever. There's, it's just a, a rambling chat between people to find out, you know, what it is that you do, why you do it, and how you make it work. Really. Right. Okay. Well, I'm in the between things at the moment, right. and I'm about to launch a podcast. Uh, I was left basically precarious. And that means basically that I was in a relationship for 11 years mm -hmm. and he cheated on me in 2017 to 2018. He like had this affair. I was thinking, oh my God, he's having a midlife crisis. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't and just buy a motorbike or a sports car then like everyone else. Well, he already had one of those in the garage. Uh, that's the problem. <laughs> so basically then... I was thrown into a bit of chaos because at that point in time, I had invested a lot of money in an online business education platform to learn digital marketing, right? 2017. And I was moving forward with that, thinking that I would create some sort of income from having a digital business online. And this has always been something that I'd wanted to do. Unfortunately, <laughs> my partner had other ideas and really didn't want me to do an online business uh, or anything like that. And because I'd spent money and invested in myself, that was really bad. Should have asked him first. No, I did, I did all. Mm. And I wasn't spending his money. It was my money. <laughs> but so he anyway, still, still didn't want you to do it, even though you were spending your own money. Yeah. <laughs> so... In uh, December 2017, he basically, with that Christmas Day, it was the 27th, so it was in between that and New Year. He basically sat me down on the sofa, and we don't usually sit together, but he said, come and sit on the sofa. So I sit there, and then he starts to say something, and it's like, remember when I used to talk about my Wednesday girl? So I'm like... Strange. Maybe he's going to tell a joke. This is what my thought processes were. And 
then he starts to explain that he was coming back from a trip from Bristol. He was going back to his house at York. All of he sees the sign for Sheffield and he remembers about this woman that he'd started to have a relationship with before in 2009. And then he, it, this was November. He rekindled a relationship with this woman in November. So four weeks back, he'd started this affair with this woman. And in the December of 27, uh, 2017, he was telling me about it. He was confessing that he was having an affair. Mm. And I was sat there then at Sankin, and I basically stood up in the room and then I just really screamed out loud. I just screamed for ages. I, it was just such of a shock and such of a situation. I just couldn't believe what he'd just done, what he just said. So he got off the sofa, came towards us, had his arms outstretched, and he wanted to put his arms around me to, like, comfort me after I'd just stopped screaming from what he'd said. And I was like... And I just walked away, left him, and I went into the bedroom. So that was how he confessed this affair, this infidelity. and hmm. The thing is, I don't know why he did that, but now after I've done lots of research and I understand <laughs> why he did it, it was his attempt to thwart me in progress of the business ideas I had, the education that I was wanting to do, how I wanted to earn money. It was his attempt to stop that from happening. To control you, in other words. Yeah. it's a It was a control thing, right? Mm. He didn't want me to do that, so he had to, what? how could he stop us from doing that? Bush, that was it. Because imagine how I felt then. After that, I mean, positive type of person, a little bit outgoing. I'd made friends in the local area, this, this, this. And then all of a sudden, your whole, the rug's pulled from in underneath you. You just don't know what's up, what's down. So that was how it was in the beginning of 2018. But now I've done some research and I've looked at all these uh, situations of emotional, psychological abuse, uh, control and coercive situations. I've looked at post-separation abuse and what happens in after through going through divorce or going through separation. I looked at all of that and I've done the research. And I can now look at my relationship going backwards and think, oh, my God. Mm. And that's what I've, I came to that realisation after he'd left. I hadn't a clue through the relationship, although I felt bad at times and I felt things went right. But in the relationship, you just make excuses. Oh, well, he's not really, you know, he's frustrated. He's uh, He's got all this work to do or like something's gone wrong here. And, you know, so you just make excuses Oh, he's not very well. Oh, he's had too much to drink. <laughs> so all of these things that like you just put these excuses together. And that's what I did. Um, so I, I'd basically struggled in this relationship. 
Um, and now I can look back and think, do you know something? I've had three long-term relationships in my lifetime and I've like now named something which I say I've been through the three days of relationship endings. Three days. Three days. The first one was a, my husband, and that was divorce, right? Mm-hmm. Second one, I didn't get married. He was my partner. We lived together. We started a business together. And in 2006, in the December of 2006, he died of a, um, a heart attack. And so that was death of a partner. Now, the last relationship I've had was started in 2009 and ended in 2020. So the affair that he had in 2017 didn't end the relationship because basically I was a bit trapped, but also I fought because I loved the man that I thought I was in love with. I thought thought he loved me and that he told me that he still wanted me. So I stayed and fought for him to end that affair so that we would be together in retirement. Mm. And through 2019, I'd regained my confidence and I'd started doing things like yoga and art. And um, I'd started dance lessons. There was going to be a carnival in February 2020. I can't a carnival and I was like going to be dancing. And so all of that happened. 2020, I did the carnival he was so proud and all of this. Uh, we were planning that he was going to start a business in Spain. He was planning that we w- would have a removal van to go to the house in York that we'd lived in and that the things would arrive in Spain. But then in March, um, obviously, everybody knows what happened in 2020, don't they? Mm. <laughs> I seem to remember something about it, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So obviously then when that that happened, everything sort of went on hold. The business couldn't get started because of what's the point in starting a business when businesses were like closing down, shutting down, couldn't do this, couldn't do that. So the business thing was shelved. Um, The removal van was shelved because he couldn't leave Spain. He didn't want to leave. He didn't want to go back to the UK. He wanted to stay here with me. He didn't want me to be isolated. So we were in lockdown together. And um, so that was March, April, May, June, July. That's when flight restrictions got lifted. So in July, he was able to fly out and he organised the removal van again. And he took photographs of all the things that he packed in the back of the van and he sent the photographs. It's going to be like Christmas when I get back. We open all of these boxes and everything. And I was like, oh, yeah, lovely. And... um, so a couple of weeks, he was due back in August, right? And then he's sending me messages to say that he's going to see this transformational coach, hmm. yeah? So he goes for two days, a breakthrough transformation, and he sees this coach, this woman, and he does this transformation, and then he's due to fly back on the 25th of August, and he flies back to to here to Spain on the 25th of August. And he's all very talkative about how this transformation has gone, how he can improve his health, everything, right? 
And then um, on the 26th, we talk all day about it. Then on the 27th, we entertain some guests that were here on holiday and we entertain them. And then on the evening of the 27th, he basically said, the guests had just left. It was quite late. And he said, oh, um, let's have a nightcap. We'll sit outside. We can have a nightcap. So we made the drinks. I clear up and we sit on the seats in, in the porch to have this nightcap. And then he said to me, um, I've got something to tell you. Of course, as soon as he said, I've got something to tell you, my mind jumped back to 2017 mm. because that's the first sentence he said when he was going to confess about this woman. So I was like, oh, God, what well, you know, I was sort of, my mind was straight onto it. And then he just basically said, um, I'm in love with another woman. We can remain friends if you want to remain friends. We just can't have sex anymore. And that was the end of our relationship. That was it. Four sentences that he'd said. Mm. Uh, August the 27th, 2020. And was, um, was this the same woman or was it a different one? No, it was a different one. But <laughs> he told me who the woman was. It was someone he'd lived with very briefly in the 1980s. Wow. 38 years previous, he'd lived with this person. She'd been unmarried and children, and he'd been married and children. And then and then all of a sudden, through lockdown, they'd had this message going on, messages going on. And then he met her in August, I think. And then all of a sudden, within a few days of meeting, he was in love with her again. And that was the end of our relationship. Wow. <laughs> Just like it. Wow. <laughs> and um, the thing was, I was promised all sorts of things. Obviously, I was expecting the removal van and, and the uh, future together, uh, you know, uh, retirement and this, this, this. But the problem was, right, we're in Spain, we're not married. Uh, he offered at the end of the relationship uh, a letter that he wrote out. He wasn't very good at face-to-face -face communication, I guess because he was insecure, emotionally um, immature, whatever. So he couldn't do face-to-face -face communication, so he wrote a financial proposal in an email on the 29th of August, and he wanted to hand that to us. So we did, and I looked at it, and I read it, and I was like, I was in a, <laughs> a right panic state, confused, whatever. But I was going to speak to the woman that he'd had the transformation with to find out what the heck went on. <laughs> what sort of transformations is she suggesting to people? Yeah. <laughs> but obviously she couldn't speak to me because – he was her client and his client yeah. confidentiality and all of this. But <laughs> this is the stupidest part of it, right? Um, the, the day before he ended the relationship, he suggested to me, oh, we can, um, you can do this transformation. I'll pay and you could do this transformation. Uh, we could go back 
fly back to Bristol. Uh, you can spend two days with this woman. Uh, I'll pay for a hotel and a hire car and, and all of this, right? And you can do this transformation. And I'm thinking, what? Right? And the, um, he said, so you can have the success in business that you've always wanted. All right. Hmm. And I just basically thought, why did I want I don't want to do that. If I want success in business, I'll go and get the success in business and I'll find whoever it is that's going to help us to do the success in business that I want. I've already created a business before. So, you know, it's not that I haven't done business things. So I just like, it's a strange thing to say. Um, but now looking back, maybe it was a preempt to say, right, if we did, if he did get me to say yes, and then I did fly out, <laughs> I would have been in Bristol and he could have ended it then. Yeah. Yeah. And then what would have happened would be, I would be in the UK and I would have had nowhere to live. Because I had a house, it was rented out, it was COVID. <laughs> mm. <laughs> I'm thinking, oh, never mind. But anyway, so this, this just basically played out. And now it's three years post-separation, and I have attempted 10 times in total to try and come to some settlement some agreement because as soon as he left here and went to live in the house of the other woman he wrote another email to me uh obviously i'd damaged his ego in somewhere i didn't realize what i'd done but he then said to me through his solicitor as well copying his solicitor in um that um he was going to go to court i would be evicted and i would leave with nothing so I'd gone from half of the property to nothing at all. Wow. That was just a couple of weeks after he left. But the thing was, during the four weeks that he was here, he was so unstable. One minute he was okay and everything was fine. Then the next minute I was being threatened. He was in control. I do as he says, or I could be thrown out on the streets. Back to the control again. Yeah. And then <laughs> I was like thinking, oh, so straight away, um, I must have had a bit of intuition, right? Because when he delivered his four-sentence speech on the porch, I just got up. I didn't say anything. I didn't react. I didn't respond to that. I walked away from him. I walked into the bedroom and then I let out what I wanted to say. <laughs> I wasn't in front of him, right? Because I had a few choice words and you can probably imagine mm. what I might say. Um, so the, I think some intuition came over with, came over us to sort of not respond, not get angry, not shout, not react. Because certain personality disorders feed off the emotion, feed off fear. Feed off anger, and the feed even if you're happy, if you're happy and you you know they'll feed off that as well. Mm. So I, I just basically was blanking myself down uh, to not react, to not like show the emotions in front of him. Then 
And I'm still here, basically, because the court system's very slow. He did go to court. He did get his eviction order. I've been under the threat of eviction since October of 2020, but he actually got the court through in 2022. So I'm, I'm basically under the threat weight of this eviction. Um, so in... <laughs> this that's is, still, still in Spain now. Yeah, I'm still here in the house because the eviction hasn't happened, but I'm under the threat of being evicted now. Wow. Um, but I wrote and published a book while I was under the threat of eviction, I actually wrote a book which is titled Post-Separation Abuse, Betrayal, Abandonment, What Type of Man? And I wrote my story from the death of my partner, how that happened, to finding this new relationship and how that unfolded from 2009 to 2020 but also did a lot of research about emotional and psychological abuse, coercive control, and the laws in Europe, in Spain and UK, because at the time I was writing my book, the law was being looked at again in the UK, the law for cohabitation, because the laws are not the same as marriage, right? And there's lots and lots of couples who think that they're sort of secure or there's, you know, common law, wife and husbands and whatever. But there's no such thing, mm. right? And so if you haven't got an agreement in place, if you haven't got anything in writing at all and you're in a relationship and you're not married and you don't have your name on the deeds, you don't have your name on the utilities, right? It's very, very difficult to prove anything or to have any um, way in law to get any um, compensation or anything for any length of time that you've been in that relationship because it comes under the laws of um, Totala, which is to do with property law. And it's very, very expensive to do litigation for that. Mm. So this is why I actually wrote the book in the first place to actually warn people that if you're going to be in a relationship and living together, that you should talk about what will happen if that relationship ends, what you expect and have some sort of contract drawn up because you're not protected in law. There is no protection in law. Yeah, it's one of those things nobody wants to think about, but everybody should. You should start it from the start. I mean, I mean, you can protect yourself. You can say, right, okay. I mean, he did because in 2016, he was like writing the will out and telling me about what the will was. And he had one in the UK, one in Spain, da, 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 da. So I was, you, you'd be safe, secure if anything happened to me, blah, blah, blah. Right, okay. I never really looked at the details. Thing was, I didn't understand <laughs> that I should have looked, I should have been on the the deed, I should have been on the utility bills. I wasn't on any of these things, right? Mm. In my previous relationships. Which again is a coercive control thing that you're not on these. Yeah, because obviously he was in control of all the finances. Mm. I didn't know how much he earned. I didn't see any of his business accounts and nothing. I hadn't a clue. 
I just trusted him. I put my trust in him, right? So in my previous relationships, because I was more of an entrepreneur I, and I was, I was always one that looked after the finances, so even, I might have only had part-time jobs. I was looking after the children. I was a housewife or whatever, or I was doing voluntary work or whatever, but I was the one who was in control of the finances and the banking and the paying of the bills, making sure everything was running smoothly. And I think a lot of women from the north of England do exactly the same thing. And I know in um, middle-class relationships and stuff that might be a little bit di different, a dynamic, because the men are often in control of the finances and the woman has to ask for everything. Mm. I was like, oh, I've seen this lovely dress, you know. Um, it, it's beautiful. It's this, 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 and this. And then you have to beg, basically, to think that, Will you buy me this dress? Mm. Right, but I've you never been the control of saying yes or no. Yeah. yeah, but I've never been in that situation. Mm. I've never been in that situation because I always had my own income. I always had some money. So when I um, I came here to live in this house in 2016, um, I had um, what did I do? It was um, I took my pension because I was being self-employed, right? From 2005, I'd started a business and took 2016. That's the HMO property business. The HMO property business, yeah. I'd started that business with my partner. He died in 2006, so it was just 18 months after we started. So basically, I started that business, built the business up. And it was 2016 when I was here that I thought, look, it's too far. It's it's not working. I could see, obviously, there was lots going on in the UK, lots of new introduction legislation and with HMOs especially. And then in the I remember the government introduced something to make a, a lettings agents responsible, right, as pseudo, um, um, what they call, check to do a check to say that the person is legally entitled to rent so they're not like illegal foreigners or anything so you had to do all of that and I'm like hold on a minute <laughs> we're not getting paid so you're telling us oh we can't charge a fee for this this and this but then we have to do it anywhere I was like this is not right so I wasn't too pleased about that <laughs> and I decided that it would be a good idea just to sell the business then. And I took, I sold the business off to another agent in Sunderland and then basically took my um, pension out so I could start over and do something else while I was here. Was was that properties you owned or, or were they rent to rent you were doing? No, I was, it was other people's properties, uh, basically landlords in the area who had bought, some of the landlords were, Overseas, I had one landlord in Portugal, uh, had landlords in Devon, um, York. There was They were all over the UK, but they'd bought properties in Sunderland in my area. I mean, I was living in a three-bedroom flat when I started. Then um, I ended up um, getting inheritance, so I ended up buying a little cottage. And I was running my business from one bedroom in the cottage, and I was quite enjoying it. Uh, everything was good. And I had a relationship. And 
we had holidays abroad. We had two to three holidays every year. It was everything felt as if it was really good mm. until I came here. I didn't realise that I ended up being isolated because when I was more isolated, that was when the, he had more control of the situation because he knew I was here. He even installed security, 24-7 security surveillance cameras, and he put three, one right in the porch, one right overlooking all of the pool area, and one that looked to the gate. And it wasn't until after he'd left when I was thinking to myself, I'm like, hold on a minute, that means he could have watched any time he could have just logged in to look and review the videos to see what I was doing around the pool, to see what I was doing at the porch. Mm. And I didn't I didn't realise any of that. He was like, well, I just want to make sure nothing happens. I want to make sure you're secure and this, this, this. <laughs> so it wasn't until after he'd left that I realised that. Um, so it was it was really strange. Mm. So at, at the height of the the HMO business, how many properties were you looking after? Um, let's think. I had, um, I think it was more than twenty. Wow. But that meant there was a lot of rooms because uh, the, some of the properties were like six bedroom, seven bedroom HMOs. I had. Um, a few flats, two bedroom flats. Uh, I had a few four bedroomed houses, some three bedrooms, um, which were like cottages that mm. that wanted to rent to HMOs and students because obviously the rent that they would get from students renting each room would be double yeah. what they would get if it was just an ordinary family. Uh, and everything was okay until they started introducing the uh, dreaded licenses. Yeah, until the government decided they wanted to take more money off people that were <laughs> being enterprising. The small business owner, never the friend of the government. No, that's what I found out and I was like, I can't believe this. Then there's the deposit schemes came in. Ah, yes. More administration and you couldn't charge. I'm like, you can't charge these fees. And I'm thinking, well, I'm not stopping charging fees. <laughs> <laughs> So I still charged fees. Uh, I mean, you can't do work for free, basically. Mm. I mean, you know, you can't do more and more and more administration and not think that you're going to charge a fee at the end of it. It's ridiculous. Um, anyway, I I did have uh look after these HMOs, but when, uh, what year was that? I think it was to be in 2012, 13. There was um, a lot of student numbers were dropping off and I didn't realise. Mm. So um, I think it got to a point where I, I'm usually fully let by about March. And I was thinking, oh, God, I was like, why is these houses not let? There's like lots of properties. I'm not, they're not seem to be letting very well. So and then I had to go and do some research and I went to find out what the student numbers were. And then I'd realised that the student numbers in Sunderland had drastically dropped. There were over 20,000 students in Sunderland, but it had gone down over the years and I hadn't realised. But all the landlords, had, obviously, they were struggling. Mm. And my business was still okay. 
from 2012, 2013, but then all of a sudden in 2014 it hit. I realised that the student numbers had dropped down and uh, 5,000 had gone down to 15,000. Oh, right. So that, well, that that's was... interesting. We, we've done marketing for a student accommodation business for quite a number of years, and their numbers dropped as well and to the point where they sold their business. But it wasn't because there were fewer students. It was because there was more purpose-built student accommodation uh, sort of authorised, if you will, by the university. So all the students were given a lot more places to live close to the universities. So mm -hmm. the independents that were a bit further out, then they were basically losing their their market share. Well, that was uh, something else that did happen as well as the numbers dropped because the University of Sunderland decided to build their own halls. Yeah. Uh, near to the riverside, they built St. Peter's, so they built a big, massive accommodation there. Then there was another one that was near to um, the main university centre, uh, and they built one there. And the third one that they had and they built struggled and they sold it off to a private company and even the private company couldn't fill it wow yeah so that's when i knew there was problems so um i had to diversify the business and i had to then move over into family lets because some of the houses that were ordinary family homes could be then changed. So they lost the HMO uh, license. So we could then just say, right, okay, it's just a family let. Mm -hmm. And the price obviously went down, which meant my commissions went down because where I was getting 800, I would only be getting 450 or 500. So my income from the rentals was going <laughs> down at the same time. And uh, so some other landlord, luckily, because other landlords were also struggling, if they'd been letting their houses themselves, then they were like, they were coming to me and they were saying, oh, well, I haven't got any, and I've got this seven bed, I've got this six bed, I've got this this property. And so I think I must have like gained another couple, two or three different other um, investors who'd bought properties thinking, oh, I'm going to cash in, but then they couldn't let them out. So I, I was like still in student accommodation. Then I'd started family lets. And then the third thing that I had to like then look at was how I could let these HMOs when there weren't the students to take up the rooms. Mm. So I had branch into um, professional lets. Mm. And I started um, advertising that and I basically ended up getting uh, – um, companies that would find on the internet, <laughs> find my business on the internet, and I would get calls and I, everything that I'd done, I'd set up for myself. All of the website and the processes were all in place. So if I was getting calls from anywhere in the UK... What, wherever, year, what year was this? Uh, 20, 2014. 15, probably from 2014-ish, 20, 13. Sort of before the service accommodation boom, really, then, before everybody was listing stuff on Airbnb and Booking.com. Yeah, and I started I started doing that, uh, and I was pretty – I was 
I was getting them filled up. And what I'd done was instead of like paying, uh, saying, well, the commission, I was charging an upfront. Um, they wanted to manage. So I just charged the upfront. So like everything was at the beginning. I would get that money and they would be able to then manage it themselves. So I set all the contracts up and everything and all the guarantees and things like that. The deposit protections, because obviously they were, why would one, if you only had one property, why would you want to sort of start and get into deposit protections? Mm. Um, so I handled all of these things and then charged the upfront fee for that, which worked. So I, I didn't lose. I started to gain back. What I'd sort of lost, it sort of went like down, and then it went up again. So I was quite—it was yeah, quite quite, okay. quite clever, isn't it? It's a matter of what uh, what rules come in, what things change. You found a way to make profit with the property that you you had under your control. Well, exactly. Yeah, I mean, you've got to keep on like you look at your business and you've got to diversify. You've got to think right, okay, how what am I going to do? Uh, and that's all. I've always been like that. In fact. I could even tell you the story of how the business started, which in 2005, my partner was working for a young student. He was um, starting off his property uh, student rentals business. And it all of a sudden it was, it was all over with signs everywhere about this student rental business. And so my partner was do uh, DIY uh showers this that and the other and he would ask him can you do this can you do that okay and I was in a network marketing company at the time so I had a car vehicle right with a massive telephone number right across the side so my partner was using my car to go which, and do which, which one can I ask it was herbal life herbal life yeah so he was going out with this car with my numbers splashed across the side of it. And then all of a sudden we started getting phone calls. We've seen this car outside of this place and da-da-da. And then more calls. These were irate landlords who were ringing this, the number to say that they wanted to know where this guy was who had rented their house to students because they hadn't gotten any rent. Uh, and I'm like, oh, Lord. <laughs> but anyway, what happened was my partner is talking to these people on the phone and he's saying, oh, well, yeah, uh, I don't know where he is, but Lorraine knows all about this. Uh, oh, she can help you with that. And, and I'm like, what's he talking about? <laughs> <laughs> right. couple of days later, he's like talking to two landlords who've got five properties between them right mm. and he is telling them how we can um manage the properties for them and and find them tenants and i'm like what i didn't have any idea of how you would run anything to do with properties but he's told these people oh Lorian knows all about that and i'm like i don't know anything about it <laughs> So you can guess what happened then? I'm like, I'm going to do lots of research to find out what, what, how do you do this? What do you do there? I mean, there was only me and him. So when we ended, ended up getting the keys to these five houses, we started the business just like that. And I was like, well, how, what can I do? How can we do this? 
We were in the houses cleaning. When the students had disappeared, we were sweeping the floors. <laughs> it was decorating the rooms. It was like, it was chaos, <laughs> total <laughs> chaos. But we rent, we actually did rent the rooms out and we did get them let. And I was like, well, where's the, how do you do a contract? I didn't know anything about contracts. <laughs> and honestly, uh, and the other bit was, obviously, when I'd gone to the bank, I'd said, well, I need to open a business account because I'm starting this business. And previous to that, I'd had some bad credit. I'd lost a car. I'd been in a situation where I'd lost a job, so I wasn't in a good thing. I'd, my network marketing business wasn't really taken off. Mm. And um, I went to the bank and they said, oh, I'm sorry, but you can't open your business account. I was like, oh, all right. So I, I had a personal account and I thought, well, I'll just use that. So I started putting the money in. I ended up making a script because network marketing teaches you business, right? It does. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, oh, need a script. So I write a script out. Then we drive around the streets and all of these landlords are really sophisticated with their marketing, right? Mm. It's an A4 piece of paper, right? with the telephone number written on it, and it's in the window for the <laughs> students when they're walking past. So we go drive around, write all the numbers down. Oh, yeah, okay, that's that one. Oh, yeah, that's that one. Write the numbers down. So I'm back in the office. I'm like, oh, God, what can I say? Oh, uh, panic. <laughs> so I've got these list of numbers, and I'm like, right, this is the first one, and I'll, I've got my little script, and I'm saying, we've just started this new business, and it's uh, such and such name, and I've talking away to these people, uh, we'd like to send you some information. Could we have your address and we can send you out our our details of how we can help you? Oh, yes. So, yeah, I was just, that was all I did. Mm. And then a few addresses and then we sent some printed out leaflets and packages and stuff. And um, we got some Vista print, Vista print cards. Mm. And I, I was actually working in the local government at the time. And my partner, he would go with these little Vista print cards, stand on the corner where the university was, because our flat was five minutes away from the main street. And he would stand on the corner. And as the past, he would just hand them these Vista print cards. <laughs> and that was our marketing, right? But it worked. To find student accommodation for them. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and it was it worked. Uh, then, obviously, me being me with internet stuff, because I'd started doing the web, the first ever website that I built was 1999. Yeah, that's a long time ago. I know. I'm getting old. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, 1999 was when I did my first website. So now I'm like, right, okay, how do you do what's changed? Because it's been a long time. Mm. Uh, and... I, I did pay for some coaching so I could like learn how to put a website together. And then I learned about WordPress and then I sort of had my all the businesses online and it, I started advertising on another website. I can't remember the name of it, but they were stealing people's details and putting them on the website. And I found it because I'd done a Google search and like his was right at the top. Mine was somewhere third on the Google page. Mm. Like, Hold on a minute. So I clicked on this uh, paid for advertising thing mm -hmm. and it's um, he'd stolen my details 
on my website, put it on his website, but then it said, no properties, no properties, right? I'm like, ah. <laughs> it was top of Google. He was getting clicks. And every time somebody clicked on mine, it said no properties. I was fuming. I bet. Yeah. You know what I ended up doing? What was that? Advertising with them. <laughs> <laughs> so it worked. What he was doing works. Because I thought, look, he's got top of the um top of Google. He's got my details in there now anywhere. I wasn't very I was paved obviously by that, but mm. I was like, right, okay, then how much is the advertising? Right, okay, I want and I just negotiated something and I was paying to advertise, but it was a platform, a bit like Airbnb. Yeah. They had the platform, but they didn't look after properties um and all you did as the person was pay the fee and then you input the details yourself they didn't do it so you so, you would pay them to be listed on their website yeah would then use google ads to direct people to their website to make sure they were at the top so that you had to pay them because you were listed on there anyway if you didn't pay them it said you had no properties exactly you did pay them you could put yours on so they're yeah. taking a gamble with their advertising to to get on there, mm -hmm. relying on the, the property managers or the landlords to go in and add their details. Yeah. So I ended up putting some of the, my properties on there. And obviously, once I'd started uploading the properties and putting the details in, I didn't have to list all of my properties I'd, I could list the best ones. Mm. They would get found. And then once I got an inquiry... They can like, oh, we've got all of these. Yeah. <laughs> so it worked. It worked. <laughs> but you've got to go with the floor. You have. Well, I'm, I'm getting that. I mean, you, you seem to be changing your strategy, changing what you're doing, changing the marketing, depending on what is working at the time. And, and basically, I don't want to use the word pivot because it was the word of 2020, but you have been. I did all the way through everything I was doing. Every you come, it's like when you start a business. For me, when I started business, I didn't have a clue. I'd done business education with network marketing, and I'd learned a lot from that. Mm. But when you go into a different type of business, only so much of what you've learned can actually apply. Yeah. So when I started that, then I had to think, well, this. There's all legislation, there's the contracts, there's this, there's that. There's lots of other layers of things that have to be looked at. And so all I did was then go online and search about uh, properties and rental contracts and this, that, and the other. And that's where I found uh, the property investment uh, training there was one or two that were mostly there was uh, two Indian guys mostly around the time that I was starting in 2005, 2006, mm. 2007. There was a couple of gurus <laughs> who were always gurus, aren't they? They're always gurus <laughs> who were big in property investment, mm. right? Uh, and obviously running their own uh, business with the contracts and this, that, and the other. So I'd looked at the couple of things and I ended up buying a huge, massive folder, right, of this guy's information, basically loads and loads of information. 
Mm. And then because of the systems he had in place and the contracts and things he had in place, I was able to then structure like the things I needed to put in place in the business that we'd started. And guess what happened with the um, bank manager? Go on. <laughs> I was banking all this money because obviously the student rooms were being let mm. uh, and we were on a commission. So at the time, I think we were only charging like 10%, but I was banking thousands and thousands of pounds, right? Because the students would pay three months advance rent. Mm. Yeah, that's because that's how they get it in their accommodation funding, isn't it? Yeah, because they get their, their thing in advance and you think to yourself, well, if we don't get the money now, we might yeah. never get <laughs> We're it. We're not going to get it, no. <laughs> so I was banking all this money. And then as the bank manager came out to see and he says, well, where's all this money coming from, Lorraine? And I was like, well, you know, when I came in to ask about the business account and I said I was starting in business, I says, well, this is the business I'm in. I'm in student rentals. Uh, right. OK. Um, can you come in here in this office? And I went in the office and then he's I'm telling him all about what I've done and how I'm working and how much commission and everything. I think we better open your business account. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Now they want to give you a business account. Now they want us to have a business account. <laughs> you can't put all this money in a personal account. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. We're panicking. No. <laughs> but look, the thing is, if you want to do something, what I'm thinking is, like, you've just got to do it anywhere. Mm. Just do it. Don't, like, think, oh, well, the bank manager said I can't do this. Or you go to uh, these business uh advice places that used yeah. to have all of these business advice, especially European funded business advice places, right? Where they would, we have to, oh, we've got all of this money for SMEs and we need to like have courses to get people to be entrepreneurs and blah, 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 right? And you go to get some advice and they put the fear of God into you and you came, you come away from what they've told you. Well, you need this insurance, that insurance, and you need oh, your, this and this and this and this. And they tell you all of that thing and that you need. Mm -hmm. And you walk away and think, oh, I'll just forget that. Yeah. <laughs> but you look, you can't go through all of the – when you're setting a business up, your focus is set the business up and earn the money, then sort out the stuff after that later. <laughs> that's my way of doing things it's like come on even even um marks and spencer started very lowly markets market trader weren't they <laughs> a little barrel or whatever it was and i mean even richard, richard brunson richard brunson as well he was just buying yeah. records and bringing them over and selling them you know there, there was no I mean, business I mean, strategy there and he's done all right for himself everybody starts somewhere the thing yeah. is, if you listen to some business advisor who's never bloody run a business, you never got the key, to isn't it? They haven't, have they? They they don't no. know. They don't know. They, they don't just, know they how to start. Boxes. All these exactly. things you're going to need. We've right. got millions of pounds coming in from Europe, and we need to get these people sorted out. SMEs, this, that, and the other. And you know, something you go to get the help. You go to these places to seek the help to get started, and they don't really give you the help that you need. They did, well, no, they don't. No, no. quite the opposite. Uh -huh. Quite the opposite. <laughs> they, put, they just basically make you run away in the opposite direction. Yeah. 
yeah, when you business you need, put you off board really you need health cover because what if you're ill no oh my god i'm you know, all of these things that you've got to put in place before you even actually earn a dime yeah no no, no. do, do so, you know we we've run out of time blimey have we we've well that, <laughs> that was quick <laughs> we've run out of time i, I just I, I can't believe it um so I, I'm not even sure what we talked about. So it, it, if anyone wants to get in touch with you, whether it's to to read your book or mm-hmm. to ask you about affiliate marketing, which we didn't even speak about, but I know that you do, or yeah. ask you about property or whatever it may be, or yeah. to find out, you know, what happened with, with, with your ex-partner, then what's the best way for them to get in touch? Well, I've got a Facebook profile. I'm on uh, Twitter. I've got YouTube channel. Uh, Life Change Plans is Twitter, Life Change Plans on YouTube. I've do, I do uh, f- affirmational videos on there. And uh, my basically my Twitter for Life Change Plans is for my book. And it's under my author name, which is Lorraine Keeling. Mm. Right? It's not my name. It's under Lorraine Keeling. I did notice that when I was doing a bit of research. I thought, this is definitely you, isn't it? <laughs> so that's the book. <laughs> I'll, I'll put those links all below the podcast. So if you're listening to this on Apple, it's in the description below. If you're on YouTube, it's in the description below. So you can go to any of those links to follow Lorraine. And also, you've got a podcast which is going to be coming out. Yes, it's Mindset Money Success. And when is that going to be launching? I'm hoping it's going to launch at the beginning of August. Beginning I'm just of August. Pulling things together slowly. It's not easy living in a house when you're precarious and you've got like someone that can knock on the door any minute and think, "Oh my God, where am I going to live?" Yes. It's not. <laughs> it's, it's not uh, doesn't help you when you're trying to be creative. Um, no. So by the time this one goes out, it will have gone past the beginning of August. So your podcast link will also be in the description yeah. below. I'll send you it. <laughs> yes. So we'll put that in as well. So thank you very much. This this has been a, a really enjoyable, enjoyable podcast discussion. Um, I've loved it and, and finding out more about you. Thank you. All right. Thanks a lot, Darren. All well, right. We're out. That's it. All right. Okay. Brilliant. <laughs> <All right. laughs> oh, dear me. Oh, um, do you know something? It's so hot in here. I'm dripping. <laughs> I have. I've heard there's a heat wave across Europe and it's pissing down here in the uk 36 degrees yesterday was it oh bloody hell and there's no breeze and it's just hot like air the the air's just hot everywhere you could probably crack an egg out there and i I believe italy's having some of the hottest temperatures it's ever had but yeah in the uk we're just looking at all this going what oh no (laughs) at least we've got warm rain So I did listen to your podcast earlier, and I had a your first your first episode was just seven seven minutes long. I don't remember. Yeah, yes, I think yeah, I, it was a while ago. It was over a year. Yeah, ago. that was just talking about um, your business doesn't all come from uh, word of mouth referrals. Yes, that, yeah. was, that was my last, that was the most recent podcast. I think that was Fridays. All right, okay, because that's the one I listened to. It was top of the website yeah. most, so rec- most recent one that was yeah 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 so uh you you, you were definitely spot on with 
your business does not come from word of mouth referrals. <laughs> not yeah. when I mine splattered all over uh, Google and everything, and mm -hmm. I knew that some people did come from referrals where other investors knew investors type of thing, and they would ring us up. Um, but a lot of them was because the founders on the web. Yeah. There's a lot of people who they say that and you say, I don't need digital marketing. I don't need social media or any of that because all my business comes from word of mouth. It's like, that's because you're not doing the other things. That is not a good thing. Mm. If the word of mouth referrals were to dry up, you would be out of business. Yep. You need to, as you mentioned earlier, you need to diversify. You need things coming from different avenues. Yeah. And I used to get inquiries from all over the place, and some of the inquiries I couldn't help them because there were investors and there were oh these two bedroom flats that they've built and wanting advice and information mm. because the uh, well the housing market wasn't very good and they just decided that they would build all of these like um, apartments two bed apartments everywhere in different cities, Manchester, Leeds, Sunderland, they were building all of these city centre apartment block things right. when there was no parking, there was like a bit of underground parking, yeah. only half of the units would have parking. And I was keep on telling people because we wanted to know about buying off plan. And I said, I would avoid it if I was you. I wouldn't bother in like paying the money. And it came right because obviously when everything went, blew up, some of the apartments that they'd bought off plan that were like nearly 200,000, right? The prices that they were going in auction later when they couldn't pay the mortgages or whatever they'd done to put their money in were like half the price. Yeah. It's it's criminal, really, that people were, were taking well, in like that. People just get scammed, don't they? Yeah. Mm. Anyway, it's been really good talking to you. And you. And you. And when I'm getting set up on my podcast, maybe you could come on and talk about digital marketing and how success I, that. I would love to. I would love to. Yeah. Happy to. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Okay. All right. Thank you very much, Ryan. Thank you.